You're listening to The Chartographers. podcast for music loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it from worst to first it's totally the oh. thing that we do it's always been our catchphrase make no mistake that's absolutely no. what it's always been check the records so guys listen see i feel like after the first two seasons of the chartographers me and taryn uh, we were able to, like, I feel like we had to establish ourselves, so we tackled the greats, we tackled everything, from the Beatles to the Michael Jacksons, to, like, our own personal stuff, like Robin and, you know, Flaming Lips and things, but now it's to the point where, like, after conquering a lot of that, we're just going into the random, we're going to... Yeah, what other people think is the best. <laughs> exactly, yeah. like, we did Steely Dan for a season premiere, and thank you all who listened to that, and now, uh, we're doing an artist who, on the surface, it seems like, oh, you know, this seems pretty easy, nuh-uh, not the case. Uh, and in fact, the guest that we had in studio previously said on an episode, this is more of a singles artist than an albums artist, but we're the chartographers. We do everything. We get the whole picture. So diving into the albums has been a fascinating experience because yeah. this week, oh baby, we decided to tackle... I'm your baby tonight. Ar- arguably <laughs> the greatest pop vocalist of the modern era. I think I can of, say of that. Of all time? Yes. Yeah, I, great. Oh. Oh, this is going so well already. (laughs) (laughs) So that's right, guys. We're going to dive into it. We're talking about the one, the only, an artist whose career peak was probably in the year 2000 when they were nominated for favorite song from a film at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. (laughs) That's right, guys. (laughs) We're talking about Whitney Houston. Sorry, I had to jump in The preacher's wife, if you're holy. Uh, Nippy. (laughs) (laughs) Nippy, if you're Robin. My meal oh. ticket if you're Bobby Brown. So guys, listen. Oh, wait, what was that? What did you say? <laughs> he said my meal ticket if you're Bobby Brown. Oh. <laughs> so Whitney Houston was born. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. In New Jersey. Uh, daughter of Sissy Houston, who was actually an established gospel vocalist. And like a lot of great soul singers of the day, you know, started out by singing in church. That's what she did. And of course, her mom, Sissy, of course, encouraged that. But also, Whitney had a dynamite voice. And ultimately, at the age of 16, she was found at the label showcased by Clive Davis, who is kind of a record empresario. He's like, you're amazing. You're going to be a superstar. I'm going to make you a superstar. Signed her to a worldwide contract. Kind of kept her on rap for a couple years. Developed her talent. Like, that's the mm-hmm. thing that he does. He did it with another one of his famous signees, Alicia Keys. Several years later, like, signed her and kept her on reps for years. Like, I'm going to make you superstar. We'll build you up. Uh, and eventually, when Whitney Houston debuted, it was kind of a quiet debut at first. But once the single started hitting, she had an unbroken streak of seven number ones on the Hot 100, which, like, beat the fucking Beatles. I mean, the thing about when you read about her late 80s output, uh-huh. she was just, like knocking down records like it was yep. her job. Like, she was... She broke dozens yep. of records. Yeah. And within her first two albums. Yeah. The the number one record is still... Has still not been broken. The record oh, is sec- seven... Consecutive number, number ones. Number yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. And we are going to get into that and her albums, because that's what we do. We're going to rank them all, and it's going to be great. Who's the we that are ranking it? Let me tell you. First off... There's me. I'm Evan Sadi. You might know me as the interviews editor over at Pop Matters. You may have seen my writings in MSN and other places. But most importantly, I hope you recognize me in the streets as the host of this podcast. <laughs> because we've posted photos of ourselves. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> but mainly because uh, I love this podcast so dearly. I love that we're doing a third season. And part of the reason that I'm so excited about this is because we also have the person sitting next to me right now. That's right. The Rachel to my Frank Farmer. That's right, guys. <laughs> That's what you're going <laughs> The co-creator of the podcast. <laughs> Darren O'Reilly! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing, baby? I'm fantastic. I, I, this, you know, I, was... I had a really weird journey this week. Mm-hmm. I'll just say I my thoughts were have been all over the place and then every time I go back it like completely changes so and then we 
we watched like the documentary on her life yesterday. And Can it, I be me? The Showtime documentary. One hundred percent changed everything I thought about every record. So wow, oh. like I'm really excited to talk about this. And like honestly, I wish that I had given this. On the on the one hand, um, there's a lot of schlock here. So I'm kind of sick of Whitney Houston. Um, <laughs> Which but is on the, fair. On the other hand, I kind of wish that I had had like four more days with this. Because mm. I like, because my opinions have changed so much, like literally every day. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, like yes. I'm ready to talk about this. I definitely have some ideas of like front runners and what's going to be last. But like, I... We're going to get into I'll it. I'll also say that I'm probably not going to fight Nick Shota as hard as I did on Janet. <laughs> because like... I, I, it's just there's anyway we'll we'll move on for now we'll, yeah, get, back we'll, we'll get back to it because here's the thing I cannot tell you how excited I am to have our guests back our guest oh, I already spoiled it I know <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll turn it to a bleep and post I won't but the thing is is that this guest that we have here he's not even just a guest. He's been on two different episodes before, so he's on the echelon of Chartographers All-Stars! Oh my gosh! So, uh, and by the way, when you guys are tweeting about this podcast, it's the third season, so please use the hashtag All-Stars3. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that won't be confused with any other hashtag. I'm pretty sure that joke will totally be relevant in the months and years you, from now you listen to this. All-Stars3 hashtag. But most importantly, oh. th- here's how good this guest is. This guest was on our first fucking episode when we talked about Beyonce. This guest was on one of our favorite episodes we ever did when we did Janet Jackson. I think maybe still my favorite episode. Yeah, like... Because, like, my love of Janet has, like, kind of changed my life a little, but it's fine. And on top of it, because of what he did in the Janet episode, he was nominated for three Chardy Awards. Yeah. And, you know, it well it well deserved. If you have not listened to the Chartographer's Awards, please do. It's fucking amazing. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Shoda is in studio! Nick! Hi, guys. How you doing? Oh, well, my heart is first and foremost very warmed. Okay. Um, I'm so delighted to be back. I'm, so, I, I am the first three-timer. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Honey. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> Shit. Uh, here I was thinking, like, eh, it's cool. I'm, I'm so... I'm, just, yeah. I'm like the first three times. No. We have, okay. We've had our, our, our dear friend John Harvey, I think, has been on six times. Oh, Or oh, something shit. like that. Yeah. So, yeah, he's That's been... A joke. No one else has been on more than... More than him. Well, more than him, but, like, do we have that many other three-timers? JC. Just JC. last episode. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's I it. I think that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, you know, well, we're you're still in rare company. Yeah. In any event, I'm delighted to be here. And um, not to get too self-indulgent, but way back in the Janet episode, at one point, Nick's like, hey, by the way, do you ever guys who ever want to do a Whitney episode? And Taryn said, in about two years. And here and we are. here we are. <laughs> actually doing it. Knocking shit over. Yeah, yeah. knocking shit over. Yeah. Um, Whitney's been a huge part of your life. So, oh, I have so, so many thoughts, so many things to say. The first of which is, um, there's like m- like a maybe 17% chance that I might cry during the course of this episode, Ooh. because I love Whitney Houston yes. that much. Oh like, this music So is... glad we watched that documentary. If you cry, <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's a part of my upbringing. It, it feels like it's part of my soul at this point, because mm. it's like, Whitney was the first for me, um... Okay. You know, like the 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 she is the woman who, for all intents and purposes, like was my gateway into popular culture. And as a child, she was everything to me. And then as I, she like, I, I just carry that on with me. Like some people get over the things that they loved when they were kids, but like, I loved Whitney Houston, and that's never that's ageless. So <laughs> I'm super excited to get to talk about her. All right. Well, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that we're going to do this. There's only one problem, though. When it comes to ranking the albums of Whitney Houston, (laughs) there is no clear path. Like, here's the thing. When you talk about ranking your albums, there are a couple definite, here's a straight-ahead albums. What are they? There's her 1985 debut, Whitney Houston. There was the expansion of that of sound in 1987's Whitney. There is the little bit more kind of, you know, it's a different style. She mixes things up a little bit with 1990s I'm Your Baby Tonight. Then her next studio album that came out properly was 1998's My Love Is Your Love, when she completely changes up her sound. She followed that up a little bit later with 2002's Just Whitney. And then last but not least, her final album was 2009's I Look To You. Now that's six albums right there. That's pretty good. We've done artists with six albums before. But guys, there's some weird shit on here. First off, 
Fuck that holiday album. She has a holiday <laughs> album, and we don't do holiday albums. I'm sorry. We don't. We traditionally yeah. don't do covers records for the most part. Well, yeah, but then we just couldn't do it in Houston. So. Exactly. Yeah. A. A. There's that. And also, there's the weirdness of her soundtracks as well. Now, she has, like, basically two, if you really want to argue for her three songs on Waiting to Exhale, you could, because those were all hits, but it's only three songs out of, like, 16, so we're not even going to count that. But then we have the weird... happy hour material. Exactly. But then we have The Bodyguard. I'm not sure if you heard of this. There's a song from it. I don't know if you recognize it. It's called Queen of the Night. It's great. And uh, (laughs) the thing is, The Bodyguard was just so huge, but the soundtrack is weird, because it's basically the first six songs are... Whitney Houston, all Whitney Houston, and then it's a whole bunch of other artists that aren't Whitney Houston. Well, and the so- the funniest thing about this soundtrack to me is that, like, it's six songs that were recorded specifically for this film, mm-hmm. are used prominently Very in prominently. scenes, like, showing her perform them, or, like, a music video in the background. Multiple of them actually move the plot forward, like, almost in a musical style, which yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by yeah we watched that Um, this week but then everything on the second half is just like incidental music basically like the Michelle Visage (laughs) featuring it's gonna be a lovely day which is just a shitty version of a Bill Withers song hashtag all stars three (laughs) um (laughs) it like literally it plays for such a short time and quietly in the background that they could have just used Bill Withers mm-hmm. yeah. and it would not have made a difference. They need to break all these new artists in, baby. Yeah. So, and so like, the thing is that like, it is such a key step in Whitney Houston's career. Like, we have to cover it, but also at the same time, like, it's an album that has other artists on it. Like, we can talk about just the Whitney portion of it, but, like, you know, I feel like it's an album. There, We might have to consider at least some of the other parts of it. I don't, like, honestly... I, was, where where do you fall in on this, Nick? So, <clears throat> because the first half of the album is so iconic, to me, like, listen, I own that shit on cassette. <laughs> don't you think I ever gave a fuck about, about that side B. Side B. Never, ever in my life. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I feel like because it was so massive to me, the first six songs feel like they're their own separate album that can be considered as its own entity. However, I totally understand the argument for, like, taking it as a whole. Okay, but no, th- th- there's, no one gives a shit about any of those songs. Right. We will no talk, one, well, we'll talk about we'll them. We'll talk yeah. about them, but I don't think we should include them in their ranking. We're talking about Whitney Houston. There's a very clear cutoff yeah. where the Whitney Houston album ends. Yeah. And we've but covered... no other album has that advantage of like being six six and done kind of songs. Yeah, but we've we've done artists where we've decided the EPs were important. Yes, before. true. And I think that if we count this as a six song EP, ooh, changes the game, guys. I know you're oh betting boy. on this. I know you're betting on this. We'll see what happens. We'll get there. Long story short, the bodyguards included in our ranking, and because of that. De facto, we have to include The Preacher's Wife. That was a soundtrack that Whitney Houston sang all over. So it's going to happen. So then, Gas Cakes, guys, let's do it. Let's jump in right there. Eight albums, eight slots, worst to first. Uh, And that includes Whitney Houston, Whitney, I'm Your Baby Tonight, The Bodyguard, The Preacher's Wife, My Love Is Your Love, Just Whitney, and I Look To You. And funnily (laughs) enough, when it comes to the number eight slot, Nick Shota, I Look To You, to ask you this question. Nick... What is the worst Whitney Houston album? Well, it's funny that you looked to me for that, because I am looking to I Look To You to okay. fill that slot. Okay, walk us and through. And here's why. So I, I went through and I listened to all the albums in chronological order. Mm-hmm. And so this was the last one, and I listened to it today. And I just have to say, <laughs> Million Dollar Bill Aside, which is incredible like one of i i would put it in the some amongst her best uh-huh. the rest of it just makes me so sad because you hear the deterioration of the voice um you know the which started primarily with my love is your love and got worse just with me and really was just like in the toilet in I, with i look to you yeah um and the other thing that i think is interesting about that in the context of the rest of her work is you start to see a lot of patterns with her albums you know mm-hmm. you've got the first two that follow a very similar formula very and similar then 
you could argue that to an extent, I'm Your Baby Tonight takes elements of that formula and tries to freshen it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then if we skip over Bodyguard and Preacher's Wife, we get into My Love is Your Love, which... Reboot. Reboot and also has its own sort of formula that Just Whitney kind of takes on its own. Uh-huh. And then... So this is like, you're like, I like to use more like a photocopy of a photocopy, you think? Um... Kind of. I mean, I still think that she has... there. She still brings... In her best moment, she still brings a freshness to what she does, even if it is kind of in line with what she's done before. Mm-hmm. Um, I Look to You, there's just... Even even in, in contrast to just Whitney, you s- sensed that she was going for something. She was going for that same sort of relevant sound that she really, I think, succeeded at obtaining with My Love Is Your Love, but just doesn't get there, and no one that was involved with that project really, uh, with I Look To You, really succeeded in making, helping to make her relevant again. And what always succeeded with her before was the voice always carried through. Mm -hmm. Even in the roughest patches of Just Whitney, um, the voice was still mostly there uh it was rough but it was there and you just don't it's just gone and i look to you and that it it makes me very very sad so yeah that's that's that's, that would be my my pick that's totally fair and i'm not gonna fight too hard on this oh boy however i actually enjoy a couple of the other songs and i look to you okay and part of it i will admit is because um you love Akon so much. Oh my god. I will fucking get there. Give me a minute. No, that's not one of the songs I like. But no, I just, I like, I like the production style of 2009. And so I... For like, the Lovers. For the Lovers is like, I would love to hear that at a gay club. Like... A I'd gay be, dance club. I would be into that. Or like... I I really like what she brings on Nothing But Love. Like, yeah, I actually really... That was a song that kind of surprises me. Like, it's just kind of like... It's a, it's one of the things where... And Taryn pointed it out rightly. It could be sung by anyone. The fact that Whitney happens to be singing it is almost, like, incidental yes. at this point. But, like, it's still, like... It's a solid song. And, like, throughout her career, like, people... I mean, especially when you... Because she is not a songwriter. Let's get that out of the way first. She really, really is. Her first songwriting credit actually appears on I Look To You. And I think it's, like, Like I Never Left or something like that. Like I never left. I do believe that she... She did have a handful of, of songwriting credits before I Look To You, I believe. I just don't know what they are. Right. Them. Like, that was at least the yeah. first one that I oh, saw. Right. But yeah. primarily, she's not the songwriter, but people are still making songs for her. And right. it's Whitney Houston. She will grab them, and she will own them. Even mm-hmm. when it's a cover of another song, she will grab it, and she will just own completely it. completely transform yeah. it. Exactly. So, and the thing is that, like, I want to, I think ultimately when it comes to talking about our number eight slot, again, I don't want to fight a lot, but for me... I think, especially in the context of everything she's ever done, just Whitney is, I feel like, is the least genuine album of her career. Because mm. the thing is that, like, when you think about all her albums, like, even when you think about the bubbly pop of, you know, her first two albums there, which are still, and, you know, and again, we're going to be referencing the Showtime documentary a lot because it has a lot of great elements in there. Uh, and they talk about how, essentially, Clive Davis was like, she needs to be accessible to a white audience. And so it's, like, very deliberate pop music. Like, it does have a little bit of soul standards and traditions. There's Jermaine Jackson. There's these duets that are on there. But, like, it's still very much accessible to kind of a core quadrant all-American audience. Like, that's what they're going for on there. With you know, And then she kind of, like, developed her own identity. She has a little bit, you know, there's a little bit more that she gets in there. Even My Love Is Your Love, people are still writing songs for her. It feels modern to a degree. It feels like it's still her it's like a reboot by all means but just whitney she's like smarmy she's like arrogant she's like you know haters back off there's a song on there called unashamed where she's like i'm unashamed of everything i've done and in 2004 especially or 2002 especially whitney houston is not having the greatest of times in her life and taryn pointed out rightly that song is like really hard to listen it to. is in, i mean i know hindsight is 2020 yeah but like the thing about it is is that like she went to rehab multiple times, so clearly there was some shame there. <laughs> and also, like, she she had already, like, acknowledged at this point that there was a problem. So, like, I it feels, it feels like, I don't know, a label exec making a poor call. Like, I just don't, I, it, I don't know, it feels kind of tone deaf. 
Right. And then you have the Bobby Brown feature, My Love, and then you have the Bobby Brown production on what you're looking at, which is a really, truly a generic haters back off kind of sentiment there. That's the only redeeming song on really? the album for me. Really? Wow. I actually really like that song. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Oh, I find God. that surprising. I am very, I am very surprised. Um, yeah. But that, but, but I'll, I say that because I really nothing else on here sticks with me. I kind of like, like one me, of those days. A tell bit. me no, I don't hate, yeah. but she's done that same formula more effectively earlier. Um, Dear John, Dear John Letter. Letter is yeah. just weird. I don't... <laughs> yeah, I don't care for Dear I don't, John Letter. I don't either. care for that. And I, I also don't hate my love, even though Bobby Brown's a shithead. Um, I think <laughs> we'll get that, into that a lot. Like, yeah. the chorus of that song is like, it's catchy. Yeah. It's, it's good. But... Sure. So... I guess I have a few thoughts about this, just in terms of the Just Whitney album and and sort of her defiance, right? It's it's certainly the most defiant album that she's yes, put out. Yes, absolutely. With possible with moments uh, on My Love Is Your Love aside, um, there was an interview that she did with Sister to Sister magazine with Bobby Brown in July of two thousand four that I just found out about this this week. This um, research week. Yeah. Uh, which was fascinating because they did it while they were in the middle of filming Being Bobby Brown. And Whitney talks about, which, uh, I, Being Bobby Brown... I, I, it, <laughs> Happy I, hour material. Yeah, Happy hour material. Sorry. Happy hour yes, material. Yes, okay. talk about it. Um, and, <laughs> and you hear them, or you see them talking about uh, their, their marriage and sort of the struggles that they went through. This is when they were in a good place in their marriage. And they talk about going to rehab. Whitney like talks about going through detox, and she says at one point, "Yeah, I'm a I'm what they call a functioning junkie," which I thought was insane because she didn't even say that in her Diane Sawyer. Yeah, interview. that big famous Diane Sawyer. Interview. And so, if we look at this in the context of her life at that time, and and even in the context of the Diane Sawyer interview. To me, it makes sense that she would have a song like Unashamed or like Tell Me No, uh-huh. these songs that are very much like, well, okay, so you're going to have all this rhetoric about me, about how I'm doing drugs and all these things. Um, I'm that, This is just going to be my defiant way of, of addressing that. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I do think that that era of her career is just really tragic in retrospect. I actually just watched the Diane Sawyer interview again today. Oh, God. It's just, oh, God. It's so hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's really, really sad. Um, because, yeah. And so that... You feel like the context, that cultural context elevates just Whitney for you. Yes. And thank you. That's the, that's a far more articulate yeah. than I could have said it. Whereas, if, we're lo- if we talk about I Look To You, there was so much hype leading up to that album, and I just see it as, in many ways, a missed opportunity. Because we don't really get a chance to understand what what she actually did go through in any meaningful way. Not that we did necessarily throughout any of her albums. I mean, I would argue that some did more so than others. Uh-huh. You know, obviously she's not a songwriter, generally speaking. Um, but I think that there was an opportunity if she had been paired up with people who were not necessarily like Hit Clive Davis's oh. like handpicked people um, to uh, really allow her to dig in a little more and say something a little bit more meaningful, mm-hmm. um, especially considering that it was her last album. Um, Which, I mean, we didn't know that at the time. Well, right, she right, didn't right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is totally a valid point. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, but looking back on it in retrospect, you know, I am so interested in the the times in her career when she actually let a little bit of herself shine through, even if they weren't it wasn't her words specifically. Right. And I go ahead. I can appreciate that for sure. I just I I also just wanna say that like throughout her entire career, what the trends that she set were all vocal mm-hmm. and the production was always very much like of the era. Like, there was never, there was never like a new, like. Got to hear this Whitney jam. Like she was not no pulling that. a Madonna and getting yeah. like completely unknown people to mm. produce her whole album. Right. And so, like, for me, it's it's not really surprising when you get to ninety eight, two thousand two, two thousand nine, that it sounds exactly like that year sounds. Right. And so, for me, I just feel like 
if we're talking about execution of pop music of that time, I feel like I Look To You is just like a slightly better batch of songs. Well, for me, that's what it gets down to at the end of the day. Like, with just Whitney, she could be defiant. And the thing is, it's not my place to judge her. I mean, I can judge her, certainly. It's a shitty thing to do. But, like, she was going through a rough time. That she's speaking her truth as she sees it at the time. I get that. I believe that. It doesn't result in a batch of lasting songs. That's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing. When I listen to I Look To You, despite the fact that it sounds like she's checked out of it, I mean, there are still moments that even though they're trend chasing, like, I, again, nothing but love, like, I kind of enjoy it still. And also, and again, if all for any other reason I would put it above just Whitney, that fucking Alicia Keys production and written song, Million Dollar Bill, it feels like classic Whitney. It feels like Disco Diva, because we go left, right, up, down. When she, like, when she jumps in and she has a little, like, it goes left, left, right, right, you know, when yeah. she does, like, the little part in there, I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. I just right. love it. It it's like the like, only yeah. time in the 2000s that she's like sounds like she's actually having fun. Yeah, and like Which I is, think that. I mean, also if you like watch clips from her during that time, it doesn't seem. I mean, she had some fun on being Bobby Brown, but like most of the time, get, like you watch her performing, and she looks like so drained. Yeah. So like yeah. having that moment of. Brevity is right, and yeah. we're twenty seven minutes in right it's now. Not the way oh, I want so uh, you know. <laughs> oh I my been... god, seriously? Yeah. Oh, so let's, right. let's stop debating these two. Um, yeah. I, I don't care which order they did go in. I so. I will say I in one more thing in defense of just Whitney. I, I also like both of these albums. They're in the bottom two slots. They're in the bottom two slots. Yeah. Um, and I will say I do love uh, love that man. I think that that I that one's grown on me for sure. Yeah. That song is a fucking jam. And, um, however, I'm, I'm comfortable with putting I Look To You above Just Whitney $4 million bill alone because it is that good and it's just, it's like And there's nothing on Just Whitney that good. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. Okay. All right, guys. I'm comfortable with that. Okay, cool. I like it. Let's move on. Let's move the fuck on. All right. Uh, number seven, uh, number eight, just Whitney. Number seven, I like to you. The only other thing I wanted to say, there's covers on each of those albums. While You Light Up My Life on Just Whitney is some boring fucking pap. Uh, a song for you, the Leon Russell number. Oh my God, such a mistake. I love that song so much. I love that song so much. And her rendition, A, during the first part, it sounds like she checked out. And then it goes into fucking 2009 Dance Vamp. And that song did not need it. As someone who, like, has the Donny Hathaway version, like, locked in my heart, to hear her fuck over that is like, oh, honey, no. And really quickly, so this another (laughs) one of the reasons why I Look To You makes me sad is because Whitney did a cover of... A song for you on her Welcome Home Heroes as part of her Welcome Home Heroes concert, uh-huh. and it is incredible. She sings the shit out of it, and oh, so and it's in like a higher get... key, and yeah, and it, and so to hear that in that contrast with this like forced dance shit that didn't need to be a dance song, it just uh it makes me sad. Anyway, all right. So number eight, just Whitney. Number seven, I look to you. Number six, Taryn. I mean, it has to be the preacher's wife. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's very good. It's, she sounds incredible, but the songs that I like off of it the most are not the gospel songs. Um, oh, we just broke. Nick's I know. Heart. I know. It's okay. Keep and going. That's keep the going. thing is the thing is like I don't really even love them that much. Like step by step I is like a totally decent song. And then what's Written the other one? Uh, My heart is calling. I'm like I'm like it's 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 pretty good, but the thing about when you have a 15 track gospel yeah album that's the other thing too, is that it it all just starts to blur together and even if like on individual tracks she gives an incredible performance and don't get me wrong she still sounds fucking amazing but when you do an eight note run. On literally every sentence of every song on an entire gospel album, it's no longer impressive. And it's no longer interesting, unfortunately. And I will not allow this to be any higher than number six. But, Nick Shota, please tell me what you think. (laughs) Wow, we just got the claws out right there. Okay, alright. Okay, I'm just breathing. Okay. 
It's just so, a podcast. It doesn't matter. I know. I know. None it's of okay. the our rankings right. suck. We know. No, this. no, no. <laughs> Every time. Listen. Here's the thing. I love all of this material. So, in in a way, ranking it is kind of like. I mean, I share the. It's all part of. Yeah. Uh, right. I love it. Yeah. So I think that the preacher's wife, and maybe this is unfair in the context of this this show, uh, the preacher's wife soundtrack really is best experience in the context of the movie okay. um, because so many of those songs are obviously in the movie and some of them she sings live some of them it seems like I, I don't know what the what the was, contrast is between the studio and the live well yeah because I know that she shot a lot of them live but in the, the final product it seems like some of them are lip synced and that's never entirely made sense to me so any Whitney super fan out there who wants to tell me more about that please do anyway um, <laughs> Nick showed it gmail.com so I <laughs> not my email guess <laughs> um, anyway you can hashtag all stars 3 yeah. <laughs> send it to chartographers at the chartographers oh, yeah. at gmail.com the chartographers the chartographers good podcast <laughs> it's been great it's been so fun yeah. um, okay so the, <laughs> what, I, what I have to say about um, this album is I I think that this is this is Whitney in her element. Yes. She's talked for years about wanting to make a gospel album. Mm-hmm. You know, granted, I think that a song like like I can do totally without "You Were Loved." Mm-hmm. I can do without "Somebody Bigger Than You and I." Oh Somebody bigger than you and I. Bobby Brown rap. Yeah. It's bigger um, than Shack Attack. Uh, I would just like to point out that Somebody Bigger Than You and I is the Jesus Loves Me of the Preacher's Wife soundtrack. Absolutely. Um, in the sense that, so in The Bodyguard, there, there's like a little moment where Whitney Houston and her sister sing Jesus Loves Me to each other for like 45 seconds and then it's over, but then there's a whole song devoted to it on the soundtrack. Yeah. And in The Preacher's Wife, Whitney Houston sings Somebody Bigger Than You and I acapella to her son in the movie for like 30 seconds and then they had to make this whole monstrosity with every <laughs> with fucking Bobby Brown talking about like things that are big in the world for whatever reason. Um, so anyway, so like we if we can remove that those two songs um, which I don't particularly care for I think that this gives us a little bit of everything that Whitney's good at, Right. You've got I Believe in You and Me, sort of like one of her iconic ballads. Uh-huh. We've got Step by Step, which I think is a great pop song, I great up-tempo, joyful really do. pop song. Do. And then you've got a whole host of her just in her element. Like, the, that's what she does. That's uh-huh. what she, the, the sensibility that, that she brings to that is is part of everything. All of her other songs, it's just that it's in its, um, its purest form. And that's what I think is so beautiful about uh her her performances on the album um it is the best-selling gospel album of all time it is the best-selling gospel album of all time which inexplicably was nominated for best r&b album at the grammys but well she's the grammys black. are just so confused about everything all the time they so. gave best head right. rock performance to fucking aqua lung by yeah. jethro toll so yeah. you know <laughs> That's a that's its own thing. Um, so I, I think that in a way, the rest of her career we have sort of pop Whitney, we have soul Whitney, we have um, ballad Whitney, and all all of which can are sort of like mix and mingle in their own ways. Whereas this has all of those things, but also has fucking gospel Whitney, which is the best. Oh my god. Uh, there are so many live performances of, of her singing gospel songs on YouTube that just, like... Thrill your soul. That just... It, because not not only are they so beautifully sung, but that is her in her element. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so unfortunate, in a way, that, that, we, didn't get, that we didn't get more gospel Whitney. Um, <laughs> that what? What'd you say? Are you, are you being an asshole over there? What do you say? <laughs> Can say it again? <laughs> you're just like, it's so unfortunate that I said that's going at number six, but please continue. Oh, you guys are so rude. I know. At the top, we're like, we're totally not going to steamroll Nick Show. We're going to like refer to him because yeah. he's, he's the Whitney super fan. And then yeah. we're like, no. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, though. I'm just, I'm just curious if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. What would you put at number six? Oh, shit. That's hard. That's yeah, bitch. So that's what we're hard. saying. But, but. <laughs> 
But you know what? Honestly, it, I would put I'm Your Baby Tonight at number <gasps> six. No. Oh. I would. No. Oh. I would. Sorry. Sorry about it. Oh, well, it was a great fight. Please explain your reasoning. <laughs> okay. Because critics actually fall in line with this logic, though, because like generally a lot of critics are just like, oh yeah, after the first two albums, I'm your baby tonight. Total downfall for total total you know misstep or whatever. What does Shoda think? So to be clear, I love I'm your baby tonight. Don't get, I, I don't think you do. No, I do. <laughs> Listen, I I think I'm your baby tonight is is by and large a very solid album. It's a weird one in the context of the rest of her work. I think it's less consistent. Um, you know. When we talk about production, like, yeah, of course, some it's of dated. production it sounds dated. Very a lot of her dated. production it, sounds dated. Yes, it does. Stuff like that doesn't bother me. I think that, ultimately, look, my, my reasoning when it comes down to it is, I just like The Preacher's Wife more than I like I'm Your Baby Tonight. Which is, and that, like, that, I, I, I wish I had a better way of articulating uh-huh. that. I'm, I'm looking at the song list right now. Um, because, oh, oh. Oh shit! Because Remind here's yourself the thing. of what is on this record, and then tell me again because this is your number six pick. But I, but I I just I think it's important to recognize that like, I'm your baby tonight was such a product of so much of the contra. I this is what it is. Okay. Oh, I figured it out. So, <laughs> so by the time the preacher's wife came around, she by virtue of you know, being one of the biggest pop stars in the world, had more autonomy. And I think that's why she was able to do the movie and to make the music that she did with Preacher's Wife. And that's why I think her her voice comes through so strong um, throughout the whole thing. Not that, God knows, not that it wasn't strong on any of the albums before then. Um, but that it, it feels so much, so lived in and feels so much like home for her. Whereas if we go back to I'm Your Baby Tonight, we're still looking at a similar formula as the first two albums, except after she got booed at the Soul Train Awards, they were like, oh, we need to find a way to make her more appealing to a black audience. And it, it feels, the calculation of that feels like it comes through in the work. Do you, do you think it was, I mean, obviously it was partially her team, but would you say it wasn't also her responding to the booing and thinking that her think like asking for more of a quote unquote black record like i mean urban I th- music of the time i think that it it was a combination of factors you know it's not to say that i i don't think that that whitney had no say in any of this to mm-hmm. be clear uh, but the there are parts of it that feels that feel forced I'm Your Baby Tonight is a jam. I love My Name Is Not Susan. I think love... I mean, there are so many songs on that album that I love. I don't... I could do without After We Make Love, but... Um, Absolutely. Like, <laughs> after which, We Make Love. Like, why is that what your backing vocals sound like? What's happening here? It's a weird... Her, her performance on that song has, is very strange to me, and it always has been, and I listen to it again, and I can't quite figured out. I think it just sits in a weird place in her voice because it's, there's a weird breathiness to it that that just, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's not like her other stuff at that time. Right. Well, and I think part of that also is too, I mean, during this era, well, during most of her career, she's working with a different producer on every song. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get, I mean, when you have a producer who knows what they want, and especially if you're singing off of a demo vocal track, like, that's going to inform your performance. And mm-hmm. so... I think that's why you get random outlier vocal takes like that where you're like, interesting. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, the the I Want to Dance with Somebody performance we just watched. Yeah. Her rendition of that when she's left to her own devices is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Not I don't want to use the word aggressive, but it's heading in that direction, you know? Taking out <clears throat> some of the Michael vocal stylings. Um, but then, obviously, the studio recording is like very girly like bubbly Ooh, i want someone to dance with you know and i think that that's that's explains some of maybe the weirdness about this record also whitney is produced mostly by a single person right whereas then this one you go into like literally every song is written by someone else and produced by someone else (laughs) but on that note i'm your baby tonight just like 
on a level of like start to finish listening was a dark horse for me this week. Interesting. I was Absolutely. really surprised. I really like this record. Hmm. Um, and I definitely did not go into it with expectations thinking like, it was going to top the first two. Lover in any for way. Life, like, surprises me every time I listen mm-hmm. to it. And when she's like, at the end of the chorus, she's like, and it just like kills me. And like, there's so many moments like that on here where I feel like, I almost feel like this is the first time in her discography where she got to 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 show a little more of herself, you know. Because That's, in the document, on those first two records, mm-hmm. it's very. I mean, they talk about how this this vision of a pop star is something that Clive Davis had had for a while and wanted to put on Dionne Warwick and a couple other people who are already too established to like adopt this style. So he like molded Whitney to it, which is, I mean, part of why those first two records are so good is because there was a very clear vision for what they were supposed to be but then also like i'm your baby tonight it's suddenly this like breakout and again i feel like um production wise those first couple songs are very michael indebted which is part of why i like them so much Mm -hmm. i would maybe even say i'm your baby tonight's like my favorite whitney song oh wow okay just yeah because it has that like you know i also really like we didn't know Surprisingly, oh, like that okay. one snuck up on me. I, you know, I'm a Stevie Wonder fan. Oh yeah, sure. I yeah. Mean, the Just production like, almost spoiler, kills that one. <laughs> we're doing Stevie Wonder burn, later this dear, season. Dear, oh. dear, dear, dear. But here's the other thing, though. I feel like the the one thing that was revealing about the Showtime documentary was it talks about how in the first two albums, especially, uh, there was a sense that again, when you're talking about trying to make Whitney for basically a white audience or a four quadrant, multi quadrant, whatever you mm. want to call it, call it. There were songs. Whatever you want to call it. Call it. Don't worry, baby. May West. Quadrant quality. So, uh, but the thing is that if there was a song that, as they described, as some of the musicians described, that was, quote, too black, it got sent back to the studio. Right. And so it feels like it's not just, and so I understand the booing of the Soul Train Awards, but more importantly, though, I feel like I'm Your Baby Tonight isn't as much a reaction uh, to it as it is just it feels like you get to see sides of her personality that you don't normally do. It sort of just feels like they took the filter off. Right, because you know, honestly, still elements. who would have guessed that she would do a song like My Name Is Not Susan, which is more of a defiant call-out song. You know, my name is not Susan. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. You're, she's going full Michael there with the... Susan. And they're like... Susan. Yeah. Yeah. Susan. Yeah. Right. But there's that, and then there's also, there's also Anymore. It's just like... It's, oh, I, mean, it's I love Anymore. Similar to Michael Jackson, like, A, I mean, they both do too many ballads, but B, we remember their upbeat songs quite a bit. Like, their upbeat songs are always so prominent. And also, like, Michael Jackson's paranoid songs, generally, for the most part, tend to be some of the better ones of his discography. They're a little bit more, you know, psycho crazy. I mean, they're a little bit more, you know, you get into the head, there's a lot more, you know, intellectual, you know, and emotional thought behind it. And on this album, too, like, she doesn't get, like, this angry again. Like, just Whitney, she's smarmy. She's a little bit, you know, talk backy. <clears throat> this one here is just, like, defiant. It's pushing. And then, you know, the fact that there's this little gem called Who Do You Love kind of tucked in there near the back like this really buoyant like pop number on there like it's one of the things you got to keep in mind we're talking about a lot of different whitney albums that have a lot of different tones and textures but Mm -hmm. yeah it's one of those things where like nick i love you i really really look i already know that i'm gonna get outvoted here but i just want to (laughs) say yeah the preacher's wife is a really lovely holiday film that i think is underrated i think denzel washington gives a really surprisingly comic performance. A surprising, yeah, he doesn't get to do that very much. Yeah. Um, and I think the music in it is excellent. I think the music in particular, especially, oh God, that, Joy? Um, the Kirk Franklin number? Uh, I believe all of the gospel songs were produced by Mervyn Warren. Thank you so much. But it was the joy was written by Kurt Franklin. Was it? Oh, yeah, I don't. Know. <laughs> wow, that was a lot of defiance for like, no um, reason. Okay, <laughs> look. First of all, okay, I'm pretty Frank, sure that Whitney and Mervyn Warren, like, whatever, it's fine. It's fine. It's we fine. have to we have to forgive Nick Shota because every time we get him on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. we just fucking like slap him in the face repeatedly. Which look, here's we the just thing. we just shit all over his dreams. And, <laughs> So he's allowed to be a little different. All right, bodyguard, number no, six, no, call it. No, how dare you. Um, I just think that knowing what we know about Whitney, uh-huh. how the her 
how much she believed in God specifically. Yes. And the the way that she invested the, her um, her gospel sensibilities in all of the work that she does. Mm-hmm. I love the preacher's wife. Feels like um, it. It feels like her happy place, and that's. That to me, like when I heard it as a kid and when I saw the movie, I uh-huh. just it, it resonated. It, it resonated, mm-hmm. and it it feels joyful in a completely different way. In a yeah. like in a homey sort of lived in yeah. like you feel it is a joyful record, and you you hear that come through from her, and that's why I think well, it's it, and I totally all, get that. And already, yeah. I think it's interesting because I feel like Taryn and I, you know, we have the biography and some of the emotional context behind these albums too. But it's like, I mean, we are viewing it as like collections of songs. Like, how good are the songs? And I feel like you're viewing it genuinely through what Whitney was going through. Mm -hmm. Like, much more of a biographical... Like, I think you connect to it in that way. Because we knew he had a gospel upbringing. And obviously, you know, The Preacher's Wife was clearly a passion project. Because I don't think most studios would have just funded that willy-nilly. You know, the fact that she had clout, you know, really led to a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But, like, I feel like you're much more sympathetic to a lot of those angles than we are necessarily because we're just sure. looking at it sometimes you know as like what are what is truly the best collection of the songs or the best statements being made so yeah. I just I find that that's just an interesting perspective so I want to you know even though and listen I'm sorry just going to be an asshole Preacher's Wife is going at number 6 it's fine. but I it's one, it's one I of the understand. things where it's like I just I, I think that's just a fascinating perspective and just mm-hmm. in this discussion so far I feel like that's come out of it and that's just that's just great and so that's why I find it interesting too because you view I'm Your Baby Tonight as almost a disingenuous pose from her or um, I, I don't want to it doesn't necessarily feel disingenuous to okay me. um it feels calculated you, you think know, you think I'm your baby tonight is more calculated than my love is your love is because that's straight up like oh it's 1998 let's make a record that sounds like 1998 that people in this era will buy well I think that my love uh I think that my love and my love look <laughs> I can't even talk <laughs> We've all had that throughout tonight. Quality calls. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, any we we have to acknowledge that anyone who had Clive Davis as their Svengali and yes. guiding their career is going to have their career guided by calculation because that's what that's very true. Very true. Very yeah. true. So all of these are are calculated in some in one way or another. Did she drop Clive at some point, or is that no? What happened was Arista dropped. Clive and oh, that's right. So they need to J Records, Alicia right? Keys, all and that so stuff. Yeah. just Whitney was when Arista, I believe, was under um, L.A. Reid's whatever his thing tenure. Because L.A. Reid, for the record, yeah. he shows up a lot. You know, he was also one of the drivers behind "I'm Your Baby Tonight" too. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I, I the difference to me between "I'm Your Baby Tonight" and "My Love Is Your Love" is that, um, well, again, it, it, it's it, got Missy done. Well, case closed. <laughs> it, it's it's still very calculated in certain ways, but I think that there is. A, I'm your baby tonight feels a little bit more vacant than my love is your love to me. My love is your love feels very much like every. I shouldn't say every. The majority of the songs on my love is your love feel like they come from a more authentic place from her. You guys are shocked. By we this. are. You just. I. I'm sorry. Like, the use of the word... You're describing Mom, Your Baby Tonight as more vacant. Or less I'm, vacant. No, more vacant. He said, I'm Your Baby Tonight is more oh, vacant uh, yeah, I'm your baby tonight is than more My vacant. Love is Your Love, which is blowing my fucking mind. Because it has basically what's just a shitty Imagine rewrite, which is the title track. It's the same chords. There's nothing interesting happening in either the melody or her vocal take, let's be honest. Like that. And then you're looking at, like... Oh Yes, which might be my nomination for worst Whitney Houston song. Oh. <laughs> like, I just like, I, and, and don't get me wrong, I I really enjoy some things on My Love Is Your Love. When you believe. And, no. <laughs> no. As someone who has the Prince of Egypt in your bones. I have the Prince of Egypt in my bones, and that take of that song is an affront. It is oh. horrible. But it's, I don't but it's, care. But it's, that's this so this is and this is part of why I wanted I needed to put Preacher's Wife this low is because you look when you look at what she's doing on When You Believe, the melody of the song is gone. It is completely gone. And that's 
from the movie version. Part of why I think I like I'm Your Baby Tonight more than My Love Is Your Love is because she still is at least sticking to the melody for the most part through the first verse and chorus, and then she lets herself go crazy. Her divaness and the crazy, incredible vocal flexibility that she has sort of gets away from her during the 90s. And it's just like, it's really overdone. And that's even in some of the like live performances that I've watched where sections of it are blowing my mind. Other sections, I'm like, can you just sing the fucking melody? And so that's that's a bit of my my problem with this record. I but then I also oh god and Heartbreak Hotel. Heartbreak Who's singing the chorus on that? Hey, here's what we don't do. We do not come for Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> True story. I will always semi resent share for uh, believe keeping Heartbreak Hotel from number one because they were like it was number one and number two for like weeks and weeks and uh, it never made it so you, because of Cher so you don't believe in Life After Thanks, Love Cher. Yeah. Oh, oh my okay. god oh god can uh, we break it up okay. can we okay. stop the fight alright here's sorry. here's what I need to say I'm, I'm a couple drinks in and my Oops. my filter is gone you're fine you're fine <laughs> Here's what, here's what I will say. Look, listen. I've I've been in this seat before. I know how it goes. I I know I'm gonna get outvoted, and I know that you guys are gonna be wrong, and it's fine. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wouldn't it be incredible if sometime we had Nick Shota on and we didn't gang up on him? We don't Whoa. gang up on every guest. What is this? Oh. <laughs> He's adversarial, obviously. Well, so the thing is, I mean, with, with the Janet podcast and with this one, like you're talking about two of my my favorites of all time, who are like. I, it's it's just a different yeah. context. Like right. I I've been listening to these people for for literally like twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So um, it, which is different than doing a, a deep dive for a shorter period of time. You know, it's just, exactly. You know, um, yeah. Because my feelings about all of this have evolved. Uh, you know, my in fact, my favorite Whitney Houston song has changed. It could change like on a weekly basis. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My, um, I mean. My favorite Whitney Houston song changed on an hourly basis this week. Yeah. Like, every time I'd be like, oh my god, maybe it's this one. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Um, so, in what I will say about... How much do you love My Love Is Your Love? Well, okay. So I listen... I, it's, I will say it's been... It had been a minute since I listened to the whole thing all the way through. Um, uh-huh. And I, I, I just listened to it again, I think, yesterday. And the whole time, I was like, fuck Yes, Whitney. Yes, the whole time, because and and, and again, it because she learned from the best. Well, because she learned from you. Be- <laughs> Jesus, not just from you, Can't. from you. Also, um, that fucking synth tone. Also, <laughs> can I just say that, yeah. um, not Whitney's career in general, but specifically, my love is your love era. Whitney is what spawned Christina Aguilera, like. The, like, late career, like, throatiness that Whitney starts to get, that's what we, that Christina is copying Christina, constantly. Christina. That's the other thing I, that was, like, almost one of my biggest takeaways this week is, like, so Christina just never did anything original in her life. <laughs> Got, it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, and, well, and here's the other thing about my love is your love. <laughs> and by the way, guys... We are 55 minutes into the podcast. Are we going to have to make this a two-parter? Oh, it might have to be a part two. Because I don't think we're going to get through... Because we haven't even talked about, about the other <laughs> Exactly. So I think we're going to have to do that. But let me just say one more bit. Let's at least log in number five before we go anywhere. But one thing about my love is your love. I honestly think I'm kind of in between you two. Okay. Because in terms of it, like, I genuinely don't think of it as a Whitney Houston album. I really, really don't. Because the thing is that, it's, I mean, Whitney Houston rebooted herself. And the thing is, you can still be the person that pines for the classic days of like, oh, she's a pop diva kind of thing. And like, I get that. And guess what? That Whitney's gone. That Whitney's not coming back. That Whitney's evolved away from that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, and I think it's also the fact that we're listening to this in the year 2018. And so 1998 is 20 years ago. It's very nostalgic for us. And when I hear Dark Child come in, you know, like those things come in. I don't necessarily... It, the thing is that a Whitney Houston song was always something that she owned. People could, like, come in with songs and give them to her, but she always had a way of owning them. There has never been a cover of I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me that has been anywhere even remotely close to whatever Whitney could do. And, like She's had so many great... And she could take... Again, like, I Will Always Love You. Not the first time she's taken someone else's song and made it better and made it her own. Like, that's just an ability that she has. So the thing is that for someone who owns her songs so much... 
this is an album that truly does feel like a product of the era. Like, I could see any, most of these songs going to Destiny's Child or of the era Faith Evans and or other things like part that. Part of the issue is, too, is that, like, it's, it's, it's hard to say that because you also have to remember that the reason the 90s sounded like they did were because of Whitney Houston. Like, the reason that it sort of sounds like it doesn't matter as much that this record is Whitney. Because I, I say that about her last three albums. That I mean, and also part of that is the vocal decline. But even outside of that, it, it doesn't necessarily matter that Whitney is singing these songs specifically. Because the production is so of the whatever era it's coming out in. And because she was already so incredibly influential, there are dozens of artists that are trying to do runs like this. Mm-hmm. And so when she's not blowing you away, which is on a bit of this album, it just like it just kind of sounds like the late 90s. Well, so here's my question. All right. Uh, with regard to I'm Your Baby Tonight, because we're, we're talking about how My Love Is Your Love sounds very much like it, a product of that time. Yeah. And that some of those songs could have been a Destiny's Child song or whatever. Yeah. So if we're thinking about I'm Your Baby Tonight, I would say that a lot of those songs probably, if, if we had a... If we... Because we're, we're speaking as, you know, late 20-somethings, early 30-somethings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in my 20s. You know, we have a very... <laughs> that's some bullshit. Um, <laughs> you know, we're speaking as people who who were very much alive and aware of the, the music of that time. Yes. That, and everything that, that's come since then. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. can't be said of us from the time of I'm Your Baby Tonight. So do you think it would make a difference if we had been? And does that matter in the context of this conversation? Genuinely doesn't matter in the context of this conversation. Because okay. I feel like we're talking about... like The thing is that we can have the context of these albums inform what they do. But the thing mm-hmm. is that like this was a revolutionary album for the time that in 2018, because maybe everything that has come after that, or even some things that came before, we could still be like, oh yeah, that album fucking sucks. Like, that's the thing. Like, I can, there's a difference between appreciation and actually enjoying it, though. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at some of the, and this, and this has been true throughout the entire podcast, too. Like, there have been times where it's albums like, I will acknowledge, I can respect that album. That doesn't necessarily mean I like that album. Mm-hmm. And so then it, then it comes to the debate of whether or not you're ranking something because you genuinely like it, or because it's revolutionary, or because there's some combination of the two and you think it's the best. So I think, you know, we kind of, like, fall in line there on that end. So that being said, I did kind of say that the you know, I feel like My Love Is Your Love is the product of the era. A lot of the songs go to any people. I still enjoy it, though. That's the thing about this album, though. Like oh, Because, yeah, like, it's sure. not right. I mean, I feel like we've been shitting on it a little bit, like, in a negative. But, like, it's not right, but it's okay. Like, that was, you know, I, I will always tie that with Tony Braxton's uh, You're Not Man Enough For Me. Like, it's always going to be, like, in my mind in terms of, like, great songs that have come out and of it. I fucking love if i told you that mm. i really, if i told you that i really like that song oh, and that's like that's definitely my my front runner from this album uh-huh. also that's the one that sounds like fucking the jennifer lopez song right uh if yeah. you had my love and i gave it yeah. all to you yeah. you so that's fair yeah. But Jennifer Lopez is not in the studio. I want to point that out. That was just an imitation. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I feel like J-Lo ripped off a couple songs on this album. Yeah. But also, they're probably just chord structures and the... Yeah. And same producer, because uh, uh, Ronnie Jerkins... I, I believe Ronnie Jerkins produced that song, uh, yeah. the J-Lo song. I know, yeah. I know Ronnie I'm Jerkins sure. at least did It's Not Right, But It's Okay. That yeah. was definitely Ronnie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, um, and so was If I Told You That. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, go ahead. So I, I just have to, again, Talk like, to being a uh, <laughs> Whitney super fan and talking about the context of, of her life in terms of this. Mm-hmm. So to me, what I think is really interesting about My Love Is Your Love in contrast to I'm Your Baby Tonight, because I, I think, Taryn, did you say something about I'm Your Baby Tonight? Be, like, defi- I feel like Defiance was thrown out there. Or did I make that? Was that, that, was that yeah. you? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I feel like she is equally as defiant on My Love Is Your Love, if not more so in some ways. Defiant. Where? Because... <laughs> okay. How? Wow! Shit! Fire breathing! My god, Taryn is coming for me! Are you kidding? Damn! No, you're fine. You're fine. I okay. feel like I need to, like, take a breath. No, like, it's I'm, okay. We're really passionate about this. I really this. didn't think I was going to get this emotional about this. Could you say that you're 
so, so emotional. emotional. I'm so emotional. That was such a that was such an Evan baby. joke. Just like, okay, okay. So it's just a chartographer's joke, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, okay. So so I I wouldn't say that the whole album. I would never make the argument that the whole album is defiant. Okay. However. I think that it's not right, but it's okay is defiant. I think that in my business is defiant. I think I learned from the best is defiant. Um, totally. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you're right. Um, and when you look at that, and even, so, like, a song like Heartbreak Hotel, um, I, when I listen to this album, I hear, in some ways, a response to the, the previous eight years of her like rising to this massive success while also being shat on by everyone. Like I'm your baby tonight. That album was trashed by the critics. Yes, she was still in quadruple. Largely trashed. I, I don't want to say trashed. She was definitely there. Like the r- response to the bodyguard, like critically, was not great. But um, that didn't matter. Who cares? Yeah, it's like right. 28 million copies in the United True. States. But well, in the midst of all of this, fourteen. Oh, the album. Did, it sell, did it sell 28 total? Was 20 million worldwide, yes. Because, like, if it was oh, 20, it sold okay, 20 okay. million in the U.S., it would be the greatest best selling album of all time. Michael Jackson sold you know, 23 million of Thriller. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, okay. So, um, so I. What I wasn't I, making up, I was just confused. <laughs> Sorry. Nick showed up. Please okay. continue. It's okay. So, I. Thinking about the previous eight years, all of the the stuff that she she dealt with in terms of her relationship with the press, her relationship with Bobby Brown, the scrutiny that they experienced. Um, and her dealing with his infidelities and um, all of those things. I, I again, I, you know, I, I feel that so much of the material on My Love Is Your Love at its at its best. Granted, it is an uneven album. I will give you that, but it feels lived in. Like when she is singing, "You Were Making a Fool of Me" on "It's Not Right But It's Okay," that was that from the heart. Yes. Yeah. And and okay. I, even with Heartbreak Hotel, I feel that you know in my business, obviously that comes from a place of that feels really authentic. So even though she didn't write these songs, I feel like she was able to connect up with people who were able to to get her voice out in her music in a way that was not necessarily there before. In your mind, because we all have, for the most part, I I've, amazingly as the progress has gone on, I've done this less and less and less. But in your mind, I'm sure you have kind of a almost mega, maybe definitive pseudo ranking of the albums in order, like yeah. worst to best. Just don't name anything else. Mm-hmm. What number was "My Love Is Your Love" for you? Oh shit! Um, First, second, third, fourth, fifth. I think it was third or fourth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was. So it's, it's, it's not my this, number. Okay. In this it's area. definitely not number. Okay. My number one. Here's the thing. Like I, I, I wanna. You're, I mean. Go ahead. So for me, I'm your baby tonight. Is at least third, if not higher. I'd be willing to if we put my love is your love at number five. I'm gonna put I'm baby. I'm your baby tonight. At number four. I don't. I can't okay. like discount that anymore. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. In that case, how about this? Let's go ahead. Let's plow through <laughs> through our bitter disagreements that we have. To, guys, it's gonna be a lovely day. Okay, I'm telling you that right now. I just want to say one more thing. I'm okay. so sorry. I'm. I, I keep really, don't don't apologize. I, I say, We've been assholes. One, I have to say one more thing about uh, in, in favor of, of my love is my your love. Is your love. Um, before, if, okay, because I think I touched on everything. Um, I was made to love him. Is such a. I do like that song. I, the just a, a Whitney Houston Lauren Hill collaboration in 1998 blows my mind. My kingdom for like a, a time machine where I can go back and and retroactively manufacture a, a, an album length Whitney Lauren collaboration. Like <laughs> because that's what because not only is it a, a great cover and Whitney Houston obviously is great at covers, but you you get a little taste of the old and the new. You've got this great vocalist with a, a great producer coming together to, to make um, a really fresh-sounding remake. And um, along those same lines, another thing that I am so sad we didn't get because of the, the way that her career was structured, the way that she was marketed, all of that, I would have loved for a Whitney Houston lemonade. Like... Oh, so much. Like if if there had been someone guiding her career who had just as much of Clive Davis's marketing savvy, 
paired with um, a, a guidance of her career that would have led her towards songwriting and producing and and being more in control of her artistry in the way that Beyonce has been able to over the course of her career, I think that we could have had something truly extraordinary. And I because I think that she was capable of that. You know, people want to have historically wanted to dismiss her as a really great singer, but not much else. But I think that she has tremendous emotional dexterity and musicianship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that that she imbues in all of her music. And I think that as far as later era Whitney, My Love Is Your Love is the closest we get to um, seeing a, a genuine sense of like her, her really channeling her heartbreak and the things that she had gone through in a way that feels very genuine. And we didn't necessarily see that before that. There we go. <laughs> so that being said, number eight, just Whitney. Number seven, I look to you. Number six, the preacher's wife. Number five, my love is your love. And number four, I'm your baby tonight, which the more I think about, I'm like, uh, this is how Shota feels all the time. And I'm okay with that. So guys, listen, we're almost 70 minutes into this thing. We're going to do a part two because there's a lot more coming up. So, and you know, it might be a short part It might two. be a short. <laughs> that's fine. That's absolutely fine. It'll be a bonus. It'll be an add-on. It'll be an yeah, extra. We'll post it on like an EC. Sunday or something. So guys, listen. Well, we got a full week. It's fine. Uh, but guys, listen. Uh, before we do anything else, thank you so much for listening, Nick Shoda. I know there's more parts coming, but thank you already for being here. Thank you for having me. Because you're so great and wonderful. Uh, if you, I mean, obviously, listen to the part two, because that's going to be coming up. Listen to the Happy Hour Minnesota. And if you like any of those things, or if you just agree with Nick Shoda, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are great. They increase our visibility. Other people can find the podcast that way. Also, find us on Facebook and Twitter and SoundCloud and all sorts of other places. So please go ahead and reach out to us, thechartographers at gmail.com. If you want to send Nick a present, we'll pass it on to him. Oh, uh, so he'd much. appreciate it. In the meantime, though, keep on listening because you know there will be thank you so much guys have a good one good bye